Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. Welcome to season four. What a ridiculous thing that we're in season four. It really is a good example of how if you put your mind to it and you have no talent, but someone gives you some free microphones, (laughs) you can accomplish anything. It's true. Yeah, that's how I like to look at us. We have we have uh, we have a lot of um, housekeeping items that we want to to start with here. Uh, We have uh, some exciting uh, news as it relates to the premium content. Um, I figured out how to provide free trials. So, so so is that ability like always there, and we just it has always been there, and I have never cared enough to look into it. I see. And uh, we've received uh, several very helpful emails. Thank you for those that. uh, Why don't you remind me to dock your pay? Uh, (laughs) You're going to take a hit. In your uh, zeros a percent, right? Yeah, yeah, zeros a percent. Yeah, that's uh, well. So, so starting today, um, we will have a seven day trial on the premium that is available. To all that are interested that have an iPhone. Now, we with have- that, are we going to immediately rip the content away from the missionaries? <laughs> you found out how to offer a free trial, and so the missionaries are cut off. We, we, have, we have tried to. I, I'm, I'm going to go in and try and see if I can uh, determine how, how much use that's, that's getting. We, we do appreciate all of the wonderful emails we get uh, from missionaries, the, the scores and scores and scores of missionaries and their parents that send those in. Um, but so we haven't figured it out on Spotify. So it is only on the Apple. Uh, the free trial is only on Apple. Your pro Apple agenda yes. knows no bounds. Well, so, but the, it'll be for seven days. We hope that you sign up for it. Forget that you signed up for it and then continue well, to pay. Well, we don't want them to accidentally be signed up for it because we, we have actually no do. That's over the it. whole point of free trials, actually. Wow. Wow. <laughs> You're, I think that's probably a fourth wall you're not supposed to tell people. Well, no. So we the, the hope is you get in there and you, you take a look at it. When I subscribe to something, I subscribe to it, I immediately cancel it, and then you got it for seven days. But we hope you, you sign up for it and you, uh, you try a couple of the different things out if you haven't already. Um, the Joseph Smith and the Restoration, the uh, Condemned to Repeat It, the American History Revolutionary Burgoyne War. Burgoyne's Sorrow. Burgoyne Sorrow. <laughs> Boy, if that doesn't that doesn't sell it, I don't know what will. And then obviously, crinkling leaves or holy places from our past. Just the name Burgoyne should get people signing up. We did talk about him uh, in the last the last episode of the year on the premium of the condemned to repeat it, and how how left him high and dry uh, out in um, Saratoga. Yeah, the middle of nowhere in New York. Middle of nowhere. So. You can get in. You can actually just get the free trial seven days. Listen to all of it in, in wow. seven days, and then and then cancel. So um, there'll be a good mix of those that do that and those that uh, forget 
and pay for years and years and years. <laughs> so people's estates will be calling us <laughs> saying, what is this subscription? Yeah. So we will uh, we will try to look at uh, on Spotify. The vast majority of folks are iPhone users. Apologize to my wife and other Android folks out there. Great. But We're about to get 700 emails. Good job, Richard. Yeah. Well, well probably not that many because <laughs> they are a passionate. They are a passionate group. That is true. <laughs> Um, open source. Anyway, so um, so that's exciting, and uh, we hope that you'll take a take a listen to that. There's there's a couple of things that we want to do this year um, that uh, we don't want to necessarily commit to. Are are any of these produce a better podcast? They produce a better overall experience, but, but none of none of it's our like, goals is is just do better. No, no, it's gonna oh. be the same. Okay, same same, same same slop every week. <laughs> Good. But there will be no change to that. But we also, one of the things that, uh, and we, I think we may have mentioned this in a previous uh, episode, but the most fun part of the podcast actually isn't anything to do with Garrett or myself, which is obvious. <laughs> it's the listeners to the podcast are hilarious and they're, they're wonderful. They're, they're the best part of the entire thing. We're like-minded folks that don't take themselves too seriously, but take the gospel seriously, get together and kind of give some good nature ribbings. And so we want to try to do more things to incorporate some of the content that we receive in emails in terms of um, funny, funny con. Funny lines, funny uh, content, funny emails, uh, some pictures and things that we that we yeah. receive. So we want to try to. That's probably more after my dissertation defense. Yeah. But we want. <laughs> I feel like none of this was I told before we hit go on. <laughs> none before, of it. But yeah, Richard's just like the only way I'm going to get this in <laughs> is through trickery and deceit. Well, we have we have mentioned you know fan pages and different things yeah, that I, could be fun. I have no recollection of those events. <laughs> anyway, so we want to do some more of those things. So with the premium stuff and the and better um, listener engagement and uh, and then obviously continued on on the tours. And things uh, that is looking forward to 2024. So it should be a lot of fun as we try to do uh, more and more things to engage with just the greatest. I thought you were going to say, well, since it's a presidential election year, we're going to switch to being a political podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, yeah no, no, that no. that one ended up on the cutting room floor. It did. Yeah, yeah we're not going to we're not going to do that. Um, but we do we do have. Uh, to start things off, was there anything else that I that I missed? Even though most of those things were things we never talked about. Yeah, I, I, you're asking me, are there things that I wanted to talk about that I never <laughs> told you about that you never ran past me? Yes. Any any yeah. other things that I missed? I, you know what? I I think maybe. Uh, no. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, then to the Phoebe Draper mailbag, we have one one email here. Um, we, we have dozens and well, dozens of Well, one email that emails. we're going to read, yes. We, scores we again, and scores. thank everyone for sending the emails you do. They really do, uh, uh, they make this worth doing, honestly, getting a great email. And, and uh, we get a lot of them. We don't have the ability to respond to all of them or read all of them on the air, but we really do read them all. So when my son isn't being robbed in Peru. Uh, He's emailing the podcast. He's yeah. emailing the podcast. I wanted to know, what are you emailing on? Because I know it's not your cell phone. <laughs> Because that's been stolen. Twice. So, uh, well, no, he couldn't get, steal it the second time because it had already been stolen the oh, first time. Oh, it's a good time. thing they didn't replace it very fast. That's true. So uh, he's actually requested to be friend of the show Rigdon rather than my son. 
That's how he'd like to wow. be referred. Wow. And his brother says, brother of friend of the show. That's okay. how he'd like Andrew, to be Andrew, you are now brother of the friend of the show. <laughs> and Rigdon's friend of the show. They, Rigdon, thank you for your emails. They weren't good enough to read uh, on air. No, we kind of answered the Christmassy one. A That's little bit. True. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, we didn't read it on air. I mean, no, no. Why would we do that? <laughs> so the subject is revenge is a dish best served cold and stale. This comes to us from from Valerie. Um, I've been plotting this email since this summer. A short background after moving to Texas. A few. <laughs> that sounds like there would be like ricin in it when we open it up. <laughs> the email, yeah, just ricin. Yeah, in yeah, it just pops out of your computer. After moving to Texas a few years ago, I was called to be a seminary teacher for our stake. Well, first of all, yeah. thank I mean, you for your service. My goodness, thank you for your yeah. service. Wow. Welcome to the Celestial Kingdom. Yeah. I taught, this is your Sweetwater River. I taught seminary for two weeks on my mission. We had to substitute in for mm. somebody. And I thought on my mission that I wanted to be a seminary teacher. Mm. I'm like, oh, this is, what if I could just, this would be my life, would be the gospel and this would be incredible and I would love it and it'd be the greatest thing ever. And then I taught it for two weeks with my companion and then I never wanted to speak about it again. But then you thought, you know what? Years later, we'll create a podcast <laughs> where all we do is talk about the gospel. It's true. Without any teenagers there to give me a guff. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yes, again, thank you for your service. For some time, I enjoyed sharing many quotes with my class that I had written into the margins of my scriptures that I used while attending religion classes at the BYU. When I started listening to your podcast and felt I felt the need to research each quote before sharing them with oh, the youth. Well, that's what we want. We there want you, you to, to know where they're coming from. Great. Well, let's see how this goes. Most, oh. <laughs> most I cannot find quoted by the source I was told in my class. Oh. Or I cannot find it at all. Well, oh. there you go. Ouch. Uh, my bubble. Hopefully she didn't take the class from me. <laughs> <laughs> she took the class from me. I wrote down everything you said. I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> My bubble was popped, and now I have to question everything that I remember from those classes. Thanks so much. <laughs> wow. When I listened to one of your episodes over the summer, you uh, and you talked about Utah town of Scipio and that you had chosen to believe that it was linked to the Battle of Carthage. Oh, uh, yes. I mentally noted in the back of my head <laughs> it could be my revenge of the dream crushers. I think I can only partially crush your dream after doing some in-depth top-notch Google research. Oh boy, I, I should say right at this point, we we do know what the origin is, but uh, we were kind of kidding. Well, I was saying what I want to believe. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, she said that. Oh, okay. The town was named after young lawyer Scipio Africanus Kenner, S.A. Kenner, who helped the pioneers get legal title to the land. Now, Mr. Kenner was named after the Roman general who defeated Hannibal in the Second Punic War, but I do take some joy in the fact that the town was not named to link it to Carthage. Insert raspberry here. Yeah. Very, very profound. In all seriousness, I do love your podcast. I majored in history in college and have always loved it. For part of my teenage years, I lived in northern Virginia area and was able to travel to Palmyra a few times. That location has a special place in my heart. I've asked my husband a few times to consider doing a trip out east to tour the church sites, and he has shown no interest. How, how did she write no? It was all, all caps. So in all caps, though. So it's not just like, he's shown no interest. It's he's, he's shown, shown no, no interest. interest. That's right. But thanks to your podcast, with the sports discussions and humor, he's 
He's finally interested. Hey, how about it? There we go. You know what? All of those sports betting lines that we've given weeks after the games were over and always wrong, it finally reached somebody. (laughs) That's right. We often discuss that if we had... Uh, if if we had all be in our in the same ward in college, we would have probably been good friends with both of you. <laughs> we were almost ready to pull the trigger on joining you for your Palmyra tour, but our van, which I lovingly call our tithing van, tithing is literally the only thing keeping it running, needs to be replaced since our service missionary is using it for traveling to the area for her mission. I'm working on getting her hooked on your podcast so I can send uh, you her email. For now, I have to settle for a Christmas gift of the premium content. Nice. First of all, you can just get the trial and listen to it all probably for free you know, in a week. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what you got to do. <laughs> that's what you should yeah, do, just, Valerie. Just listen to us and we'll sound, you know, like like chipmunks, you know, like yeah. just super speed up. and yeah. Well, hopefully, actually, Valerie, uh, Santa already brought a year's worth of premium and then she's finding out about the free trial and can't do anything about yeah, it. Yeah, that's why we decided to announce it after Christmas. That's right. We knew we've known about it for weeks. <laughs> now that is something you didn't know about. I, well, I just found out after our last recording, though. <laughs> Thank you for all that you do. I can honestly say I'm a better seminary teacher and doing a better job at prepping the youth for what they will face in the world because of the messages I listen to each week. Keep up the amazing work. Hopefully, I'll be able to join your tour in 2025. Valerie, that would be lovely that if you could join awesome. in 2025. Um, we do still have spots available for the uh, Kirtland Palmyra. Baltimore. Baltimore tour. And so we would love it if you could join us for that. There's uh, still some open seats available there. The uh, Missouri and Illinois tour has been oversold for some time. It's going to be Delta. We're We're going to be offering people money to leave the bus. We're going to have to nail like two by fours to the side of the bus (laughs) that people stand on on the rails on the outside of it. Yeah. So and that's just my kids. If you wanted, if you wanted to go to Missouri and Illinois, but that's sold out, how about going to, to Palmyra, Palmyra and Kirtland and Baltimore? And uh, it'll be a grand, it'll be grand, grand old time. Um, so we hope to be able to uh, to see Valerie next year and uh, to see a bunch more folks on the tour coming up. So anyway, Garrett, what's uh, what? Thank how do we kick and, off season four? Well, thank way? you for Valerie for. Honestly, for teaching seminary, seminary teachers are the they are the thin line between our youth and apostasy. So we 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 need them, and they they do amazing work. So I am glad that you uh, have at least the podcast in some way to help. Although it sounds like really, I just made your lesson plans more difficult. Well, I mean, if she's up there just making up quotes that never happened because it's written in the margin They're of the scriptures. kids. How could they possibly know? Yeah, you believed it. It helped you <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Just get up there and be like, that's why Joseph Smith said when he was talking to George Washington. <laughs> <laughs> see what happens. Yeah, see what happens. Well, so uh, we decided that because the um, the Come Follow Me curriculum for this year is on the Book of Mormon that we would start off with something on the Book of Mormon, maybe something helpful to your early study of it or something that you could come back to uh, throughout your study of it. We're certainly not going to take a week-by-week basis. Uh, there are many, many, many podcasts that do a uh, a, a Come Follow Me curriculum. Um, and uh, 
that are much, much better. Well, I, well, I said other podcasts. <laughs> I mean, how, re- how redundant do we have to be? <laughs> there are other podcasts. Which, oh, you mean the better ones? Which are also better. Yeah, the ones where there is a Christmas bonus. <laughs> um, and and so we we will occasionally drop in and out of that. Um, especially when it's, when it's topics that I think we, we have something to add to, or at least that we can at least talk about. And so I thought maybe we'd, we'd start that here, uh, with this podcast. We'd start with the, the, the first is this kind of introduction to the Book of Mormon. And so I thought, you know what we could talk about is the original introduction to the Book of Mormon. What did the Book of Mormon have as its introduction when it first was in someone's hands? And you're probably thinking, well, I'm pretty sure it's pretty similar to the introduction that is there now. Now, there was always an introduction, only this one was called the preface to the Book of Mormon. So, you know, many books have prefaces, uh, but the first lines that people would have read when they opened up the book would have been from this preface. So along those lines then, the first lines... you know, the people are clamoring for lists. I think uh, BuzzFeed is built strictly on lists. Yeah. Um, well, every gospel lists. doctrine lesson I've ever been in is one. Is top, yeah, built on lists. top five lists, top yeah. 10 lists. What are some things that we need to do to go to heaven? <laughs> what are some things we should What are some things Sabbath we shouldn't day, do to go to heaven? So my favorite is what are the things we should and shouldn't do on the Sabbath day? Yeah. Those are always what my favorite What are some list. things we can do? Yeah, when we, I love when we try an Old Testament, those things. Those are always my... Yeah, we're always at our best when we're just slightly south of, of uh, you know, Pharisees. <laughs> so we, we couldn't think of a creative name for this list. We had some back and forth. Well, I didn't get to see the list. So. You haven't seen the list, yeah. but in terms of the of the name of the list. Right. Now, it's now it's not sponsored. Uh, Unfortunately. Sh- yeah, yeah. We don't have it. We have zero sponsors. Yeah, so it's um, we we grew up listening to Rick D's and the Weekly Top Forty. Rick D's and the Weekly <laughs> Top Forty. Ah, yeah, that's it. Yep, yep. So uh, rather than Rick D's and the Weekly Top Forty, it's uh, what about Rick Duke's Weekly Top Forty? But it's like five. I love the idea of having a top forty that's only five. And Rick Duke's would be like my DJ yeah, name. Yeah, if if we were at a you know, at a, a quinceanera, <laughs> this would be... A bar mitzvah, a yeah. bat mitzvah. Whatever. A whatever. Anyone coming of age thing. Hey, is- everybody, it's Rick Dukes. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so I have, I put together my list of top five uh, most popular okay. best best lines. All right. These are my, these are my, this is my list. Okay. Okay. All right. I have, I have two outside looking ends, two, L, two L, OLIs. Oh, so I have a list of five, but then I have two more that are outside. So you have seven. <laughs> well, it's five with two OLIs. Well, I, I feel like we should probably just become a sports talk show at this point. Seriously, it's no. A- you know what? Back to politics. <laughs> okay. All right. So let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna read this line, and you tell me what book. Okay. Uh oh. All right. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. What do you think? Wow. I I don't know. Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. Jane Austen. Okay. Okay. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. Well, that's 1984. There you go. Okay. So, 1984. That's, that's, if that's OLI, I mean, this is going to be a great top five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, those Rick are the Dukes. two that didn't make the yeah, list. Yeah, they didn't make the list. Outside looking <laughs> in. 1984 did not make the list. It didn't. It didn't make the list because my number five is this. Peter learns that his mom is having a new baby, and worse yet, 
She's four months along. I don't know that one. Super fudge. Okay. Judy Bloom. Now I didn't read that. Okay, so that's the only book I, I think read. Angie did read those. So so well, Angie's in here. We'll see if we can get her to Of course. Super she's shaking she, her head. She yes, she read. So them. the reason I have that on my top five list is because that's a book report that I just repeated for four years wow. in elementary school. Super fudge. I would literally I, I read the book once in third grade and then repeated that as a did, book report. Did uh, Becky read Super Fudge? She did. Oh wow. Judy wow. Judy Bloom. She, she spits the truth. Okay. All right. Well, I right. didn't So it's my list. So I've never read it. Super fudge? No. <laughs> what were you reading in third grade? I think it was <laughs> Across Five Aprils. It's a Civil War novel. A... Of course it was. <laughs> of course. Oh, perfect. Okay. So now this number four, I think you'll get it in context, uh, but somewhere in La Mancha, in a place... <laughs> Is it Manapalmacha? It's it, wait, a place whose name I do not care to remember. A gentleman lived not long ago. Don Quixote. Don Quixote. Yeah. So, I mean, 500 million copies sold, tip of the cap yeah. to Don Quixote. Yeah. Okay. Go attack some windmills. And- <laughs> yeah. By the way, biggest argument my wife and I have ever been in when when we were going to name the uh, the Instagram feed for, you know, that we were going to post his pictures, I wanted to name it his tilting at windmills really yeah I and what did she say she did not she's it's andrew leduc mission so uh, you know well whatever. you know less creative but uh what are you gonna do it both it was, but you know, know what the hits haven't been going up on it as much as they could true. okay i think you're gonna get the next three not uh, a, yeah oh call me ishmael well moby dick i don't know it's a classic yeah now, call classic. me ishmael Cosmo, call me ishmael <laughs> <laughs> um, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I so badly want to actually say it was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. <laughs> what is that? What is that from? It's from a Simpsons episode in which uh, I believe Mr. Burns hires uh, like ten thousand monkeys because you know you you know the old thing that you know if you put ten thousand monkeys in a room they'll produce Shakespeare right you know that people will yeah, say things yeah. like that. And so he did hire all of these monkeys, and the line that he read from one of them was, "It was the best of times. It was the blur- <laughs> the blurst of times." I don't even know why that's funny, but he, he crinkles up the paper, throws it at the monkey in disgust. Yeah, it's very, it's very dis- fun. Even though he has a whole line that's written in English, the fact that he has blurst makes it completely terrible. That's a tale of two cities, and that is one of my faves. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then this one in the beginning. <laughs> the Bible? Well, it's got so there's there's dispute on how many copies printed, but somewhere between five billion and four trillion copies of the Bible. So a lot of folks have read it. You yeah. you hear that? There you go. The top five intros, according to Rick Dukes, although sponsored by Jersey Mike's. Although according to a uh, uh, a poll that my brother sent us uh, earlier this week, yeah, that was fascinating. That uh, you know. No, Christians, evangelicals, they can they can know their Bible all they want, but in this poll, Latter Day Saints knew their Bible better than they did. Crushed it, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was that was amazing. We we ought to include that uh, that poll uh, in next week's. Rick yeah, okay. We'll talk about that. Next Rick Duke's week. poll in in, <laughs> in Rick Duke's <laughs> weekly top forty. That's a poll that's only five, but also two more for some reason. Oh, I'll outside looking in. Okay, 
There you go. Anyway, on to the preface. Now on to so, the countdown. The first words you would have read uh, when you came to the preface of the Book of Mormon. So imagine you've never read it before. Okay, you, you don't know what it is. Someone hands it to you and says, hey, this is from that gold Bible, right? Or this is that gold Bible. To the reader is how it opens. Yeah. Right? Very profound. As many false reports have been circulated respecting the following work, and also many unlawful measures taken by evil, designing persons to destroy me, and also the work, I would inform you that I translated by the gift and power of God and caused to be written 116 pages, the which I took from the book of Lehi. So this is all one sentence, by the way, in 19th century. So it's just comma, comma, comma. You just keep going. What does this sound like to you when you first hear it? It sounds like Joseph Smith history a little bit. Doesn't it? Yeah. It's very similar. It, it, when you uh, start off with Joseph Smith history, the first opening line is telling you because there have been many false things circulated, right? And so here, this is the, the beginning point of, of the explanation of both the history of the church, but it was actually the, the opening point of the beginning, the first explanation of the Book of Mormon. Many false reports have been circulated respecting the following work. And unlawful measures have been taken by evil and designing persons to destroy me. And also the work, I would inform you that I translated by the gift and power of God. Now notice he says that from the very beginning. Where this comes from is from the gift and power of God. Which I caused to be written from the book of Lehi, which was an account abridged from the plates of Lehi by the hand of Mormon. Now, of course, as an early reader, you have no idea who any of these people are, Right. I, you got these from plates. There's a, a book from of Lehi. I don't know who Lehi is from the hand of Mormon. I, I guess the name of the book is Book of Mormon. You know, maybe that would make more sense at the time. Think about the fact that we weren't always called Mormons, right? So, so the the derogatory Mormon is something that ero- that derives from people believing in the Book of Mormon. So what would someone have thought when they first read that word Mormon before there was a church? When, you know, if they're reading this in 1829, before there's, before there's a, uh, if they were to read these, these lines, you know, right as it's going to print in 18, you know, March of 1830, when they're, when they're finishing it, what would they think, uh, reading that by the hand of Mormon? So some other person's involved, which said account, some person or persons, have stolen and kept from me, notwithstanding my utmost exertions to recover it again. So there's something else you get there. We don't hear a whole lot about what Joseph did to try to get those pages back. Now, of course, he's making a reference to, and I think every Latter-day Saint now knows, the what is often referred to as the lost 116 pages. That you call the... That we call the stolen 116 pages because they are not lost. They are not misplaced car keys. They are not, you know, they are not, uh, you know, wandering in the woods somewhere and couldn't find their breadcrumbs back to Martin Harris. They were stolen. Um, and we know they were stolen because God tells Joseph Smith they were stolen, that that's what happened. Uh, and And so... You can tell just how big an impact the theft of these pages has on Joseph. That while they are preparing this book for publication, he feels like the first thing a reader has to read isn't 
this this book is a testimony of, of Jesus, or let me tell you the miraculous way I found these these plates. It's there are going to be people that try to discredit this work, who stole half part of the work from me, from the very beginning, and he's going to go and give some pretty good detail on why it is what it is. Which said account, some persons or persons have stolen and kept from me, notwithstanding my utmost exertions to recover it again. And being commanded of the Lord that I should not translate the same over again, for Satan had put it into their hearts to tempt the Lord, their God, by altering the words that they did read contrary from that which I had translated and caused to be written. And if I should bring forth the same words again, or in other words... If I should translate the same over again, they would publish that which they had stolen, and Satan would stir up the hearts of this generation, that they might not receive this work. But behold, the Lord said unto me, I will not suffer that Satan shall accomplish his evil design in this thing. Therefore you shall translate from the plates of Nephi until you come to that which you have translated, which ye have retained. So that, so now that's a very interesting part when we talk about the lost pages. We tend to assume that, at least I always did. It's uh, all gone. Yeah, that, that every, all of it's gone. Now, look, a considerable amount of it's clearly gone. 116 pages, whatever we're saying that is, is an enormous amount of work and time. I mean, as someone who's written 116 paper page papers myself when your hard drive crashes and it's gone that's a that's a tough day and that's not when you're under the condemnation of god because you violated an oath that you made to god uh when it's something that's completely meaningless like any history i've ever written um but here you you get this explanation that of course joseph is getting from revelation that that he's going to continue to translate until he comes to that portion that he's retained. There must be something that he still has in his possession. There must be something that wasn't part of, of what was stolen. And yet, um, the, the, the preface doesn't really tell us what that is. So that's something uh, kind of a key to think about. He, he, the Lord tells him, Behold, you shall publish it as the record of Nephi, and this, thus will I confound those who have altered my words. I will not suffer that they shall destroy my work. Yea, I will show unto them that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. Wherefore, to be obedient unto the commandments of God, I have, through his grace and mercy, accomplished the thing which he hath commanded me respecting this thing. I would also inform you, that the plates of which hath been spoken were found in the township of Manchester, Ontario County, New York. And then it's signed, the author. So this uh, is an interesting preface, right? The first thing that people are to know going into this is that there have been people that are going to try to circulate something to destroy the work. Now, of course, that doesn't ever actually happen. One could argue it doesn't happen because the preface calls it out before it happens. I mean, maybe this is the reason why. We don't really know the reason why that the people who stole the pages didn't at least try to make some hay with it, right? Because 
sure, Joseph didn't retranslate the exact same thing. So, oh, I've lost my ability to say, oh, look, this word's different than that word. But couldn't I still just bring it forth and say, hey, look, here's something that's different, even if it's from a different book. I mean, it's not like... It's not like everybody listening is a 20th century anti-Mormon, okay? So so they wouldn't know enough to know that the books are even different. They could point out, frankly, like the people who try to point out the similarities with the late war in the Book of Mormon, people could try to point out similarities and still make an argument. So I'm, I was, I'm actually kind of surprised that, that nothing did come out of that. And of course, the great quest of... Every generation of Latter-day Saint historians is, oh, maybe someday we'll find the lost 116 pages. People write essays about what they think was in them. They write essays about who they think stole them. They, they try to narrow down to suspects, things like that. The reality is we don't know what happens to those pages. The Lord gives us all kinds of information about them, that it was a conspiracy, that it's a group of people that they were inspired by Satan. And you get you get all of this in, in this greater explanation in Doctrine Covenant section 10, where you, you hear all about this and that they're inspired by the devil to do it because they work works of unrighteousness. So it's a it's a very clear thing, just like we've talked about before with Joseph Smith's first vision. Latter-day Saints take Satan seriously. We, we don't play around with whether or not there's actually an evil being that exists, as many Christians in the world today do. Latter-day Saints, from their inception, from Joseph Smith's first vision to the temptations that we talked about with Moroni, don't worry, this isn't going to be Moroni part seven or eight. Or nine? I don't. What, where were we at? Well, we were Moroni Addendum, which was really part six. Couldn't we do like multiple addenda, though? Yeah, I mean, my understanding is that Moroni did a lot of stuff. Yeah, well, we, just, we ought to do a Moroni part one, but Moroni, do it a different Moroni. Captain Moroni, one hundred percent. Okay, if all I, men I, had I'm been, actually, you know what? If all men had been, and everyone would be, be like unto. Okay. Um. So you have the temptation we talked about in the Moroni episodes that Joseph has of Satan when he's going to first get the plates. You also have what we know of Joseph talking about how the devil appeared to him uh, on the banks of the Susquehanna River, uh, you know, in the guise of being an angel of light, and that Michael had to appear and detect and say, hey, that's Satan. Satan is a real being in Latter-day Saint theology. And here in the preface, this piece of doctrine that you have that you get is that in fact that it is the devil that is trying to destroy this work and that God is more powerful. I will show unto them this is the Lord speaking that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. Now of course we could uh, talk about the way that this is done with with words of Mormon and how Mormon. I mean, it's it's it really is. It, it tugs on my heartstrings as a historian because Mormon's like the first, frankly, Mormon historian. I mean, I, I don't know really any other way. He's, he's the first Latter Day yeah. Saint historian. No, he's it's like it's like calling it Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah, he's the yeah, first. What are the odds? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and 
he is 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 taking all of these records, all of these plates, scrolls, whatever he has, and he's creating a narrative, taking from this source. And look, there's all kinds of quotes that he has. Oh, and then Alma said, you know, and da da da, da. and then he provides commentary, and thus we see how <laughs> foolish it made. The, I, it's great when it's Mormon great. breaks into the like. Well, let me tell you something. And of course, part of the reason why Mormon felt the need to editorialize at times is he already knew the end from the beginning. He already knew what was going to become the end of this great civilization that was built on on truth and righteousness and how it would eventually become something that would be destroyed. And so, you know, I, I love his little interludes. Try to notice them as you're reading the Book of Mormon that, you know, he'll he'll be quoting, you know, this is what, you know, Helaman had to say, this is what Nephi had to say. And then all of a sudden he'll break in and he'll be like, and there were not so many da, da, da. and he'll, he'll give his little, his little editorializing. But with words of Mormon, it really tugs at my historian's heart because in words of Mormon, he tells us that he's already written a lot of things. He's already completed an abridgment of a bunch of the record. He's already passed a certain point. And then he finds the small plates of Nephi. I don't know where they were, like the archivist who had put the plates in the ground and misplaced them or something like, oh, we labeled that, you know, book of of, of Nephi, not Nephi. No wonder it wasn't where it was supposed to be. I don't know if his, his library card was out of date. We don't know why he doesn't have the small plates of Nephi at first. But imagine what it's like to have written hundreds. I mean, well, I don't know how, what you've written. Thousands and thousands of, of words, although, you know, characters, whatever. Only to find this incredible source that is the firsthand, you know, religious account of Nephi. And then also his brother Jacob. And then also passed down. And you didn't include any of it. In your magnum opus. You're, you're already done. Oh, boy. Once again, something that would have been nice to have found yesterday, basically. And so he doesn't go back and redo the whole thing. Thankfully, right? All he does is he puts those small plates with the larger plates that he's already abridged. I don't know if he pops open the three-ring binder on it and re reseals the gold on it. I don't know what he does. But he instead of instead of going through and and rewriting it in third person the way he did with with everything else, he simply puts it in there. That's the reason why as you read the Book of Mormon, your first books will all be in first person. Now, of course, they'll be quoting some people. I mean, when they're quoting Isaiah, it's not going to be in first person. But then after that, when you get to Mosiah, everything will be third person with a, you know, an omniscient narrator. I have a feeling that we're going to come back to Mosiah chapter one. That's the end of April, by the way. So we'll You're go. You're excited about that? I am excited about that. I, I did just look in the uh, Come Follow Me. So I know you've got a very exciting thing to talk about when it gets to us. I, I feel like Mosiah. we've talked about that before, haven't we? Yeah, we, we talk about like seven things. We just kind of repeat them and say it a little different. But, but yeah. end of April... Okay. Coming back yeah, to Mosiah yeah, 1. I feel like he said, so now we can't cancel the podcast before the end of April. 
That, that's what I'm saying. Actually, you know, if we did, who would notice? <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. A couple hey, of missionaries. <laughs> well, they'd be like, hey, someone turned off our, our free uh, feed. But um, so this kind of made me think about the fact that for Joseph Smith, the bringing forth of the Book of Mormon and the reestablishment of the church from the very beginning was not just a mountain he was trying to climb against the all, all odds of the world, right? It was already against all odds that a, a poorly educated, incredibly poor farm boy is going to become one of the great uh, religious leaders of the 19th century. Even if you aren't a Latter-day Saint, and if you aren't, I always wonder, why exactly are you listening? But hey, you know what? Thank you for listening. And also, by the way, you can look up your local missionaries, and you can you could, you could give them a little bit of a shout-out and say, I'd like to learn more about this, this, this Book of Mormon stuff, and they would be more than willing to help you. Um, that even if you're not a Latter-day Saint, Joseph Smith is an incredible figure in American religious history. The very fact that he has the impact that he does, coming from his humble origins as he does, is is profound. And that story isn't just one of Joseph overcoming the difficulties of his, his family being poor, of his wealth, uh, you know, never becoming something great or, or his education level or whatever. It's also the fact that he has to overcome a very real being that is deliberately trying to destroy him and this work. And it's from the very beginning. It's from the first vision. When the angel is standing in his room and tells him that his name is going to be had for good and evil among all nations and that Satan would try to tempt him from the very beginning, the 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 Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, before the, even a church exists, has as a central part of its theology that there is a God and there is also a, a Satan that is in opposition to that God and is trying to tempt us, trying to destroy us, trying to destroy men's souls and to hurt other people. So I thought, Maybe we could read a couple of places where Joseph Smith either expounds on uh, expands on this or or reflects on the Book of Mormon. You know, that'd be awesome. I so when when was the, the preface taken out then? So the 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 preface is no longer an essential aspect of the book as you as you go forward, and eventually we create the modern introduction that we have in the 20th century. But. Um, I think that since you were no longer worried, people were going to bring it forward that they, you know, when you get to the, in, in the 1870s, you're well, we don't. So the, the next major edition of the Book of Mormon, the 1837 edition, does have a preface. And you're thinking, oh, what did Joseph Smith write in that preface? Is that what you're wondering? Absolutely. Garrett, what, what did Joseph Smith write? In well, that? under preface, it's written by Parley Pratt. Ah, yes. So, <laughs> so the 1837 Probably people are like, I got this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, well, you know, sleep was a burden to me. <laughs> Eating was a burden when the night when the night came, right? I mean, how many of you have, have I'm assuming everyone listening to us has 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 watched that, right? Yeah. They they have to have. Of course. And you know, it's a great story. Parley Pratt reads the Book of Mormon all night, you know, and because he's worried that that Baptist minister is gonna come get his book back. But here, 
when the next edition of the Book of Mormon is put out, it's published in Kirtland, and Parley Pratt is one of the publishers. And so he is going to be the one who writes the preface. So this is probably not something that you're going <laughs> to... This is probably not something you're going to study a lot in Sunday school this year. I mean... But we're going to talk about it on the tour nonstop oh, when the, we get to Kirtland. Yeah, the only thing we talk about is the 1837 <laughs> preface. People will be like, is this the Joseph Smith home? And I'll be like, let me tell you what Parley Pratt had to say about that. Um, this is what uh, uh, the, the preface to the 1837 edition said. The publishers of the following volumes, having obtained leave to issue 5,000 copies of the same from those holding the copyrights, would respectfully notice a few items for the benefit of the reader. The 1830 edition of the Book of Mormon, having some time since been distributed, the pressing calls for the same as well as the Book of Doctrine and Covenants and the vast importance attached to their contents have induced the undersigned, that's the publishers, to seek the privilege of supplying those calls by presenting in one volume both books in a condensed form, rendering greater convenience to elders and others who convey the same to different parts. Individuals acquainted with the book, with book printing, are aware of the numerous typographical errors which always occur in manuscript editions. It is only necessary to say that the whole has been carefully re-examined and compared with the original manuscripts by Elder Joseph Smith Jr., the translator of the Book of Mormon, assisted by the present printer, Brother Oliver Cowdery, who formerly wrote the greatest portion of the same as dictated by Brother Smith. Expecting, as we have reason to, that this book will be conveyed to places which circumstances will render it impossible for us to visit and be perused by thousands whose faces we may never see on this side of eternity, we cannot consistently let the opportunity pass without expressing our sincere conviction of its truth and the great and glorious purposes it must affect in the restoration of the house of Israel and the ushering in of that blessed day when the knowledge of God will cover the earth and one universal peace pervade all people. So he does address here something that is a, it's a speaking of playing the hits on anti-Mormon. You know, now that's what I call anti-Mormonism, the yeah. changes to the book of Mormon, all of these changes that have yeah. taken place. You know, there's been so many changes. Yeah. It, here they, they address these changes yeah. as well certainly there are some that are typographical errors and then also we know that with the 1837 edition of the doctrine and covenant of the book of mormon joseph smith makes changes for clarity i mean for instance joseph smith takes out dozens of and it came to pass not possible well you yeah, well <laughs> look i get it when you're reading second nephi you're thinking nope he left him <laughs> he actually added more I'm surprised there's not a verse that isn't, and it came to pass that it came to pass after it came to pass. I mean, but he, there are dozens of them that are removed. And that's not because Joseph is saying, you know what? I know I dictated that to Oliver Cowdery, but there's no possible way that was ever on the seer stone, even though it was on it hundreds <laughs> of other times, right? It, it's Joseph trying to, to employ some 19th century standards to make the manuscript more readable. And, and the question of prophetic utterance, what is more important, 
that the words are exactly the same as they were given by God or that a prophet tries to help you understand them. If Joseph has to determine which of those categories he falls in, he always falls in the category of trying to help people understand. So when something's ambiguous, there are some changes he makes when when you don't know whether it's talking about God or it's talking about Jesus. Joseph will make alterations to the text so that you know these are the commandments of God. Those are those are ones that are always highlighted to see they changed who who you know yeah. he said this because this. for Joseph Smith the point of revelations was for people to understand. This is why Brigham Young will say that he would not be. Uh, you know, upset if Joseph were to translate the Bible 40,000 times over and every time it would be different in some place because when God speaks to his people, he always speaks to them according to their current light and knowledge, their current understanding. And, and I don't know what would happen were Joseph to retranslate all of the Book of Mormon again. I do know, though, that it's a very weird argument to believe that the Book of Mormon's true, but to not believe the same prophet who received that, that translation through the power of God through revelation had the ability to receive further information. Well, the 1830 version's true. The 1837 yeah, version. Yeah, after that, it's not. That's yeah, right yeah, out. Everything, yeah. Jesus doesn't appear anymore in the Americas. You know, that, that, that decided it right there. I mean, it is, a, it is an argument that plays upon people's lack of their own understanding of the text. They assume, well, there would never be any changes made to the text. Well, why do you assume that? Well, because there couldn't possibly be anything wrong. It's the most correct book. Right. The most correct book doesn't mean a book that has no errors in it. Now, I'm not saying the Book of Mormon's riddled with errors. What I'm saying is, you know, Royal Skousen has demonstrated this with a lot of his uh, research on on what was in the original text of the Book of Mormon before. It's hard to check everything because we don't have the original manuscript. Not only do we not have the 116 pages, we don't even have most of the original manuscript. Why? Because it was destroyed. Because it was put into a cornerstone of the Nauvoo house in Nauvoo. In a swamp. And just so everyone knows, Nauvoo's still mostly underwater, even with drainage techniques. So, yeah. Wasn't a great plan then. So, we really have to have a lot of just conjecture when we're trying to say, oh, what was in the on the original? Not not what was published. Not what was in the printer's man. What was on the original before Cowdery copied it into the printer's manuscript, which was then taken to the printer. And there's, of course, errors and changes that are made all along the way. One of the most um, uh, important ones to note is that nearly all of the punctuation in the 1830 Book of Mormon is supplied by someone who isn't even a Latter-day Saint, by, by John Gilbert, who's the typesetter in Grandin's print shop. Most of the original Book of Mormon manuscript is just... It's a giant run-on sentences. So, so I had I had my own occasion of Garrett being a dream crusher. I I went through the Book of Mormon. Is that know, when we first met and became friends? Pretty much. Yeah. I, I went through and I had I had a, uh, the Book of Mormon in a Word document. I said I, I would be interested to know when when the exclamation points oh made. Boy. Oh wow! Because because obviously this is something that is. Did I really do this? Oh yeah, hundred percent. That big of a jerk. Well, you did it in a loving and kind way. You didn't know that I had spent all this time. Oh wow! Research. So I was like, oh, I, I think be I, I need to publicly apologize. <laughs> Well, no, 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 no. I mean, it was one of these things where I'm like, 
wouldn't it be interesting to go through the entire Book of Mormon and anything that had an exclamation point, look at what that is, because maybe there's some additional um, value in something with an exclamation point, an extra woe that's in there or something, right? And uh, and I did that, and I thought it was really interesting. And then we had a conversation. I didn't tell you that I'd done all of that. Oh, so I I was I was an inadvertent jerk. One hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. As is usually the case <laughs> yeah. for you. So uh, and you're like, yeah, no, yeah, none of that was original. Some dude put it in later. Yeah. Like some guy, some typesetter, not Mormon. <laughs> I mean, eventually we do have Latter Day Saint typesetters. Sure. But but even then. But e- yes, I mean, the punctuation is is something that's supplied and isn't, isn't originally manuscript. So if we make a really, I mean, I think this is important when it comes to versification too. If you've ever read the 1830 book of Mormon, it reads like a book. It reads like a novel. I mean, it, it doesn't have verses. It is just pages. So sometimes people will make a really big deal about the versification. They'll say, notice how it's in a completely separate verse that it says this. Well, it's in a completely separate verse. Now, I mean, it wasn't a completely separate verse when it was originally given. And not that that might not have, you know, maybe prophetic utterance later in the 20th century that says, you know what, let's, let's do that. So I think it's important to understand the history of the text so that when we're making arguments about it, we're making sound arguments that can be defended. The reality is the Book of Mormon's true, whether there's 10,000 verses or zero verses, uh, it, the Book of Mormon's true, whether there's, uh, I don't know how many exclamation points Richard came up with. I, 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 I don't know. I gave, it was a, I wow. went back, I, like, it was like a scene from Charlie Brown. Like my head was down and I was kicking <laughs> rocks back to my house. Well, I should have set up the five cent psychiatrist stand and tried to profit <laughs> off of that. Um, but it, it is, it, the, the reality is the Book of Mormon's power comes from it being this testament of Jesus. So, I'm always a little bit hesitant when people attempt to focus on the way a word is written, the way it's punctuated, the way it's versified, in part because I know that many of those things are later additions, but also because we don't need some kind of kitsch, special way of thinking about the words in the Book of Mormon in order to gain a testimony of the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon whether it is the 1830 edition or the 1837 or the 1879 or the 1981 is the word of God. And as people read it with an open mind, they will feel the Holy Spirit testify to them that it's the word of God. And I think that's part of what I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, Just going through a couple of occasions where Joseph will make reference back to, to the book of Mormon. Um, Vienna Jakes is a, an early convert to the church who has a huge outsized impact. We should probably do a podcast on Vienna Jakes. She's an amazing woman who comes into the church and donates an enormous amount of money to the church at a time when they are desperate for funds. She brings all of her money, donates it all to the church. And Joseph will, not only will she be mentioned in Revelation, She's one of the women mentioned in the Doctrine and Covenants. Joseph will write, uh, you know, correspond with her um, to a certain extent. And in one of these letters that he writes to her, he says uh, this, I will assure you that the Lord has respect unto the offering that you made. 
He is a God that changes not, and his word cannot fail. Remember what he has said in the Book of Mormon, respecting those who should assist in bringing forth this work. So this, uh, you know, what a, what a great comment that, that, that she receives, that she is one of the people that brought forth the work. And it's from this promise in uh, the Book of Mormon. Um, uh, another place where there is a, a reference that is made to it, uh, the Book of Mormon, is when Joseph is taking his Hebrew school uh, lessons, he's, he's learning more about uh, uh, different aspects, and then he's going to write a letter to a newspaper editor. Um, and he's going to try to explain what it is that we believe in that. Now, of course, the newspaper editor is not going to publish everything that Joseph sent, and it's going to really make Joseph irate because he's going to very selectively edit what he decides to publish, right? Which, I, look, I know it's hard to believe. Yeah, I don't believe it. That, ba- But back in the 19th century, there were people who worked in news media who would selectively publish things to try to make other people look bad. And now you brought it back to politics. Well, no, what? <laughs> the, I, what? Uh, I had no intention of that at all. So this is what Joseph says. This is a, a letter that he uh, writes in, uh, writes to Noah Saxon, as I said. He's writing it January of 1833. And he's going to describe the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is a record of the forefathers of our Western tribes of Indians, having been found through the ministration of a holy angel, translated into our own language by the gift and power of God after having been hit up in the earth for the last 1400 years, containing the word of God, which was delivered unto them. By it, we learn that our Western tribes of Indians are descendants from that Joseph that was sold into Egypt and that the land of America is a promised land unto them. And unto it, all the tribes of Israel will come with as many of the Gentiles as shall comply with the requisitions of the new covenant. But the tribe of Judah will return to old Jerusalem. The city of Zion, spoken of by David in the 102nd Psalm, will be built upon the land of America. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to it with songs of everlasting joy upon their heads. And then they will be delivered through the land. But Judah shall obtain a deliverance at Jerusalem. Notice how direct Joseph is being about the prophecy of the Jews returning to Jerusalem. Again, if you don't know the history of uh, Zionism, of of the creation of the, the the state of Israel, the modern state of Israel, you might think, well, oh, well, that was of course going on the whole time. This predates what is considered modern Zionism—the idea of all of the Jews returning. Of course, there's always Jews living there, but that of the scattered millions of Jews all over the world, that huge portions of them would return. That idea doesn't take steam in Europe until the 1880s. Joseph is so certain of it because of the Book of Mormon that here he's telling this this newspaper editor. And he he repeats it twice, right? The other tribes, they're going to gather here. And whatever Gentiles that will listen and convert. But uh, the tribe of Judah is going to return to Jerusalem. Um. These are the testimonies that the good shepherd will put forth to his own sheep and lead them out from all nations where they have been scattered in a cloudy and dark day to Zion and to Jerusalem. 
beside many more testimonies which might be brought. And now I am prepared to say by the authority of Jesus Christ that not many years shall pass away before the United States shall present such a scene of bloodshed as has not a parallel in the history of our nation. Pestilence, hail, famine, and earthquake will sweep the wicked off this gener- of this generation from off the face of the land to open and prepare the way for the return of the lost tribes of Israel from the north country. The people of the Lord, those who have complied with the requisitions of the new covenant, have already commenced gathering to Zion, which is in the state of Missouri. Therefore I declare unto you the warning which the Lord has commanded me to declare to this generation, remembering that the eyes of my Maker are upon me, and that to him I am accountable for every word I say, wishing nothing worse to my fellow men than for their eternal salvation. Therefore, fear God. Give glory to him, for the hour of judgment has come. Repent ye, repent ye, and embrace the everlasting covenant, and flee to Zion before the overflowing scourge overtake you. So, I mean, it goes on. There's more, but he's being pretty direct. Uh, How do you really feel, Joseph? (laughs) Right? Joseph had the ability to be pretty direct. Um, I thought this was an interesting thing that I I share because it, it... I get asked the question, frankly, more often than I care to think deeply about, which sounds like a pretty poor way to answer a question. (laughs) But people want to have the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they want to have its doctrines, and they want to have its culture, and they want to have its community— but they don't want to have what they see as the messy parts that get in the way of their full-throated embracing of the church. I We actually had a, a friend of the show, uh, Kristen, um, uh, who, who has experienced that, that Palmyra tour, um, uh, text uh, me uh, with a question that she had, a comment that she had. That um, someone had, had made the comment in church about how they thought Joseph Smith was wrong about certain things and specifically talked about polygamy and that, that, that well, Joseph was right about a lot of things, but he's wrong about that. And he's wrong about this. And he's wrong about that. The, the reality is for Latter-day Saints, we don't have a place in our theology for the buffet table of Joseph Smith revelations, where we take the ones that we love and we cast aside the ones that don't make any sense to us. This was a point that that Brigham Young made very clearly after Joseph was murdered. Anyone who is saying that Joseph Smith was a fallen prophet will not have fellowship with us. So I get asked sometimes, do you think we'll get to a point where we we no longer like talk about Joseph like he's a prophet. And we just kind of, you know, we can still believe this stuff. I mean, why do we have to talk about Joseph Smith so much? Well, you know, you know, person who's being flippant. I mean, Bill, <laughs> Bill, Bill, the adulterer. <laughs> what? Uh, why do we talk about him so much? Because literally everything we believe about God and Jesus comes from Joseph Smith. Everything. Now, look, and other modern prophets who's expanded upon what Joseph taught. But I'll tell you what, 
President Nelson would not say, you know where Joseph Smith was wrong about things, but I'm right. I don't think President Nelson would say that. What do you think, Richard? I don't think that he would. Yeah, so you don't think that President Nelson would say the words, let me tell you how Joseph Smith was wrong? We we actually did this uh, on the 23rd of, uh, of December. We have, uh, we have a special family night. And uh, we usually read part from uh, Joseph Smith history. This this year, I asked my kids a series of questions about things that they believe about about God, about religion, about the afterlife, about everything. And then after I listed all, of, I, I just asked them, "Hey, what do, what do you believe about this? Yeah. What do you believe about this? What do you believe about this?" And after the list of things, I said, "All of those things came through revelations to the prophet Joseph Smith from the Lord." Right, all and, of them, and you know, uh, Kristen's question was was well, I mean, how do I, you know, talk to this woman? She wanted to have a conversation with her about it, and I mean, she wants to believe the other things. She wants to believe in eternal ceilings, and she wants to believe in work for the dead, and she wants to believe, you know, that we have a heavenly mother, and all these other things that come from the prophet Joseph, but not the ones that I don't like. Right, of course, back in the day, the things that you didn't like were very different things, and so. In uh, the early 1830s, there is a church member uh, in New York. This is a letter that Joseph and and other church leaders are going to write to the church in New York about a particular church member who's there, um, a guy by the name of Ezra Landon. We've been informed uh, that when these two brethren visited you previously, having authority from us to teach you the doctrine of this church— and to expound the revelations to your understanding, that they learned that Brother Ezra Landon did not believe all of the revelations which had been delivered to this church by inspiration by the appointment of heaven. Our brother Orson Pratt, while reading the vision, remember whenever you see the word the vision, it's never Joseph Smith's first vision, it's always Doctrine and Covenant section 76, that while reading the vision, to a a certain brother while in Brother Landon's house, was threatened of being turned out of the door except he should desist. Doctrine and Covenants section 76 was so radical that you have, this is not a non-member, this is a member of the church threatening to toss him out of the house if he keeps reading the vision. They then called a council of high priests to labor with uh, with Brother Landon, who, when on the point of being cut off from the church, said that he believed the vision and he would teach it to the church. On the return of said brethren from the east this fall, they learned that Brother Landon did not teach. Oh, you don't nor, say, It's hard you to say. Yeah. Okay, I'm, fine. I guess I totally I'm believe gonna it. I'm going to throw you out. Hey, it's either this or you're out of the church. All right, I'll do All it. right, fine. I believe it. And then they came back and Brother Landon did not teach nor believe the vision. We have also learned from other brethren that he does not walk worthy of his high calling before the Lord and without speedy repentance and deep humility will have his office and also his membership in this church taken from him. We want you to understand, dear brethren, that the conduct of our brother has greatly grieved us and this church. We want you to understand that we hold no communion nor have no fellowship for those who who do not believe the Book of Mormon. Now, that's about as direct as you can get. I was asked not very long ago, do you think you could still believe in the things of the church, but just you know believe that you know Joseph kind of did make up the Book of Mormon? I mean, he could have been inspired, but you know the, the Book of Mormon's not—it's not really an ancient record. It's not really from—not really from God. 
But you know what? It's helpful. I mean, couldn't you still be a believer and and not believe the Book of Mormon's true? Uh, Apparently not. Look, <laughs> of the people you can ask that question to, I'm not those people. Um, I'm I am I'm uh, you know number eight on the outside looking in of of, of, of Richard's <laughs> list of people that you can make that claim to. Because first of all, it's a logical inconsistency, right? If you're going to claim, well, Joseph was right about everything. He was just wrong about the Book of Mormon. Why do you, how did you discern that he was wrong about the Book of Mormon? What, what magical power do you possess? What stone have you been looking in that tells you that Joseph was wrong about the Book of Mormon? Well, I mean, it just doesn't really make sense to me. And so, well, that's not evidence. Not when you're talking about miracles. The fact that, well, this isn't the way that I thought translation would be, but that's not evidence. That's, that's just you not being comfortable with it. Much like brother Landon wasn't comfortable with the vision. But here Joseph says specifically, we have no fellowship for those who do not believe the book of Mormon and the revelations, which God has given us in these last days. I I had an interesting discussion with, I I know we're running late on time here, but I, I had an interesting discussion this week with, with friend of the show Rigdon um, about your son, my son, about, uh, who, he doesn't always set aside time to talk to every listener of the show, <laughs> but for his son, he kind of does. Well, so it was on Christmas actually. <laughs> so, but, uh, it was talking about, uh, a seventh day Adventist that he's teaching and, um, talking about how, you know, how it's difficult for him to be able to talk with him about this and, and what scriptures he could find in the new Testament. And I and I pointed to him. I said, "Well, there's there's a, there's a scripture in in Acts, and there's a scripture in Corinthians." And I said, "However, a Seventh Day Adventist reads those same scriptures and says that they mean this thing." And I said, "Ultimately, son, uh, you can acknowledge that and acknowledge how also important the seventh the Sabbath yeah. day is to us, but the, the definitive answer on that comes from." Is the Book of Mormon the Word of God? Is Joseph Smith a prophet? And if those things are true, then the revelation and doctrine covenants is is your answer. So even even to a question like that, it still even comes to the Book of Mormon as the as the real central part to be able to make an argument that isn't even necessarily about Sabbath day observance. And and to the point, the wider point of revelation in general, right? That because we do have revelations on 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 Sabbath day observance yeah, exa- from absolutely. Joseph. Um, when we say that Joseph Smith's a prophet, it doesn't mean that Joseph Smith is perfect. It means that when he receives revelations from God for the church, that's the end of the discussion about that. And that's really hard for some people. Well, because that's not what I think. Your opposition is duly noted. Um, but that's not definitive in any way. Let, let me go on because this letter goes on. Uh in a way that I think sometimes affects the way not only that people deal with the Book of Mormon, but they deal with some of the revelations that they don't feel comfortable with or that they don't like. We are informed by our brothers uh, that uh, that Brother Landon endeavors to excuse himself for not believing the vision, saying, this is not a revelation, but a vision. Now, you all know someone who splits gospel hairs the same way. President Nelson will teach something, and you'll say, well, I mean, he didn't say, thus saith the Lord when he said it. Okay. Do you, do you think that's the deciding factor in whether or not a prophet's speaking to the church? I mean, uh, Joseph doesn't say, thus saith the Lord after everything he says either. 
right? I mean, it it's a it, it's an interesting way that people try to to denigrate prophetic utterance. And they always do it, by the way, when it goes against what they already want to believe. Very interesting that when people are just trying to get down to the real heart of the matter, they're always trying to get down to the heart of the matter when what the prophets or apostles are saying are against what they already want to believe. And if the only time you're doing serious inquiry is when it just so happens to be against your own personal viewpoint, well then probably you're not desperately seeking for the truth. Probably you're just desperately seeking to be right in what you already believe. And that's part of becoming a disciple of Christ. You're leaving your nets and you're following. And and you don't know where you're going, but you're going there because the Holy Spirit has told you that this is true. And I don't have to I don't have to find out every single time Every time President Nelson talks, I don't have to sit and have an existential crisis over whether or not it really is from God, because I already made that decision a long time ago when the Holy Spirit told me this is God's church and that's God's prophet. Let me go back to the letter. I digress. Richard's looking at me with the I digress hand motion. This is great. (laughs) So, So he's trying to say, look, the vision isn't really, it's not really a revelation, but it's a vision that's different. Right, as if there's any real difference in that. So you're saying that it's not really from God because this is something where God opened the heavens and showed the heavens to him, including Jesus sitting on the right hand of God. That's less powerful than Joseph dictating where Parley Pratt should go on his mission. That makes, you know, again, logical inconsistency there. We want you to understand from us that we pronounce such things the work of the devil and are calculated to ensnare the souls of saints. We plainly declare, and as men that expect to and must be judged by the searcher of all hearts, that those who do not believe all the revelations and visions given to this church, that they do not believe the Book of Mormon and consequently have no fellowship with us. We write plain, for we are bound to do so. And we hope that what we write may be heeded, for we write in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by virtue of our calling in his church. I mean, they're trying to be as direct as you possibly can be. Now, look, if you're someone listening who's like, well, I don't know if I really have a testimony, this is not a condemnation of you if you're still seeking and trying to gain. There is a very big difference between I'm trying to, I'm trying to find out what's true And saying definitive statements like, I know that Doctrine and Covenants section 132 is not really a revelation from God. How would you possibly know that? What would be the method by which you would know? Well, I just don't like it, or I just don't think so. Okay, that's why God gave us a prophet. Because it's not about what we like or what we think so. It's about what prophetic utterance has been given. Um. Those are just some examples uh, of that, but I thought also I might share one other thing that Joseph makes reference to as he's in probably one of the worst times of his life, making reference to uh, the Book of Mormon and, of course, his other revelations. This is when he is in Liberty Jail. When he's in Liberty Jail, he is 
very definitely in nearly the worst time of his life. And as he is, is in that awful place for such a long time, part of one of the letters that he writes, he, he presents some words that will be very familiar to you. And and I'm sure Richard will, his eyes will look over at me as soon as we get to the familiar words. But he says, I beg leave to say unto you, brethren, that ignorance, superstition, and bigotry, placing itself where it ought not, is oftentimes in the way of the prosperity of this church. Like the torrent of rain from the mountains that floods the most pure and crystal stream, with mire and dirt and filthiness, and obscures everything that was clear, before it all hurls along in one general deluge. But time weathers tide. And notwithstanding, we are roiled in for the time being by the mire of the flood. The next surge, peradventure, as time rolls on, may bring us to the fountain as clear as crystal and as pure as snow, while all the filthiness, flood, wood, and rubbish is left and purged out by the way. How long can rolling waters remain impure? What power shall stay the heavens? As well might a man stretch forth his puny arm to stop the Missouri River in its decreed course, or to turn it upstream, as to hinder the Almighty from pouring down knowledge from heaven upon the heads of the Latter-day Saints. What is Boggs or his murderous party? but wimbling willows upon the shore to catch the floodwood, as will might we argue that water is not water, because the mountain torrents send down mire and rile the crystal stream, although afterwards renders it more pure than before. Or that fire is not fire, because it is of a quenchable nature uh, by pouring it on the flood as to say that our cause is down because renegade liars, priests, thieves, and murderers who are all alike uh, tenacious of their crafts and creeds have poured down from their spiritual wickedness in high places and from their strongholds of divine a flood of dirt and mire and filthiness and vomit upon our heads. No, God forbid. Hell may pour forth its rage like a burning lava of Mount Vesuvius or of Etna or of the most terrible of the burning mountains, and yet shall Mormonism stand. Water, fire, truth, and God are all the same. Truth is Mormonism. God is the author of it. He is our shield. It is by him that we received our birth, and it was by his voice that we were called to a dispensation of his gospel in the beginnings of the fullness of times. It was by him we received the Book of Mormon, and it was by him that we remain unto this day, and by him we shall remain, if it shall be for our glory. And in his almighty name we are determined to endure tribulation." as good soldiers unto the end. But brethren, we shall continue to offer further reflections in our next epistle. That's just part of the letter. Um, But you see in the midst of Joseph talking about all of the muck and the mire that's thrown up against the church, 
one of the things that Joseph comes back to is that all of all of our truth comes from God and the Book of Mormon comes from God. So as you study the Book of Mormon this year, I hope one of the things you can do is come back to it again and again and again and not just study for where that exclamation point might be or where that verse might spell out the word Zion in a side column. But study it as if these words were coming from the mouth of Joseph Smith for the first time as he receives them through the the gift and power of God, as Oliver Cowdery writes them down, as they unlock truths that have been lost from the world for well over a millennia. We have in our possession a book that teaches us more about Jesus and gives us a conduit to knowing that Joseph Smith was a prophet that that no one else has. So treasure it. Take, Take those verses that you read. Think about them in your soul. Feel the Holy Spirit push you towards a reformation to just trying to be a little bit better tomorrow than than you were today and maybe a little bit better the next day after that. I have a testimony of the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. I'm grateful we get to study it this year and I'm grateful for the people that sacrifice to bring this kingdom forth. You know, it's a pretty small sacrifice to, to sit in front of a microphone for an hour uh, once a week and talk about the testimonies that we have. But women and men, by the hundreds and by the thousands, sacrificed so that we could have those words, so that we could know something about our Lord, so that we could know who we are, why we're here, and, and what our purpose on this earth is. So thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you have a great 2024. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.